Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, Becky. Incredible human alert. I hope everyone is ready for the conversation we're about to have with the guests we have been waiting to talk to for months. Because, you know, in our company, we, you know, we have an obsession with Susan McPherson. She is amazing. She's this super connector out of New York that really has been championing the social impact space for a long time. And she's really curated this group of impact movers and shakers and changers. And when Susan refers us to somebody, we're like so excited to meet them. And we've had a few on this on the podcast this season, but we're just so excited to have Olivia Khalili on the podcast today. She is the VP of Global Social Impact at PagerDuty, but her story starts way before coming to PagerDuty because the work that they're doing there, we really want to unpack because we talk a lot about breaking down the walls and nonprofit and how we can really accomplish what we're really trying to do as we work across the lines with corporations and for-profit and social impact and all the different ways today. And so this conversation is going to be a lot about that, the innovative approach that they have to social impact. But Olivia's story is like incredible. And I can't wait for you to meet her, but she has been living in this space for a long time, kind of chairing so much of the social impact space. She was previously at Yahoo, you know, just casually building their global corporate (laughs) responsibility program, Yahoo for good. But even before that, she had launched causecapitalism.com, this huge online resource for businesses to grow by embedding social purpose. And we were joking with her before that she's been working on this before it was cool to work on this. And we mean that in the kindest way, because now, you know, there's so much societal pressure to have this as part of your DNA but she was championing for the business side, that business argument of why it makes so much sense and why it's so good. And so it lifts people way before that was the cool thing to do. So she has got her BA of International Relations and Diplomatic History from the University of Pennsylvania. She has been named one of the 50 most powerful women in technology by the National Diversity Council in 2021. And I could keep going on, but she is an incredible human. She has just moved to Austin, Texas, and we're delighted to have Olivia on the podcast. Welcome. Wow. Thank you, Becky and John. Thank you so much. Uh, It is wonderful to take this pause out of my day to connect with your listeners and uh, to speak with you both. Well, it's a huge honor for us. We've been counting down the days. And I wonder if you would just start by just telling us a little bit about your story. You know, what gave you this tug in your heart to really chase this way before other people were chasing it and catch us up to what you're doing today too with PagerDuty? All right. My my story has some twists and turns, some international um, expeditions in it. Uh, I, you know, you, you shared what my, my degrees were in, but I, I graduated with international relations and I want to work in international trade. And, you know, I was kind of a bright eyed, I moved to Washington, DC, and I joined um, this team that was doing international trade education and legislation, which was really exciting at the time. Um, And it was part of the US Chamber of Commerce's initiative. And I had terrific 
responsibilities at that young age and got to travel and, and build programs and really learn from a fantastic boss and role model. Um, and it was such a formative time because, you know, it was my first time out really in the world on my own, you know, post-college. And it tested my values. It tested my values that were separate from my parents, right? You know, we kind of grow up and we just assume that these are the family values. And so therefore they're my values. But this was my opportunity to say, like, do I personally believe in this or not believe in some of the other policies that the, the Chamber of Commerce was engaged in? And, you know, they or there's it's a very pro-business um it's a pro, very pro-business organization. And so it was interesting for me to observe with their stance on various issues. Um, and, you know, ultimately I said, this is not really where I have the deepest values alignment. And I did a joke that I did a 180 and I moved to Micronesia and I spent a year um, on a small atoll there and doing international development work because I thought I wanted to go into international development and I needed experience in that field. And so I worked um, as a teacher in the education sector, working with eighth grade, and then also for their local newspaper, because you know teaching was one way to get to know the community uh, and some of the systemic challenges. But working for the paper, I got to see like how does international aid and foreign aid work? Like what are the companies from Taiwan and Australia that are investing in this in the U.S. that are investing in this little island? How are they doing so? Why are they doing so? Um, and that really helped me understand that you know, the way the traditional international development was levied was pretty ineffective. And I'll give you a quick example. So the, the Marshall Islands, there's a lot of fishing rights there. And so different companies will, will make investments in it to gain fishing rights and access to harbor rights, et cetera. Um, and so there was one project that they had, it, I, and I don't remember which it may have been the U.S., it may have been another country, but they invested in creating a new community center for the Marshallese. And I lived in the main island in the capital. Um, and they did it without engaging the local community. And so, uh, you know, ultimately, this brand new community center was not used. It wasn't at a part of the island that was very accessible. It did not model any of the architecture that was more open air architecture because of the climate there. And that was such a one story I like to tell of like, this is like, there was some good intention here. Let's try to provide a resource for the community, but it was done in a vacuum without that community engagement. And that was such a deep lesson for me of like, of what not to do because there's no, there's no winners in that scenario. And so, you know, I left that time there thinking, well, okay, like international development, like that model doesn't really seem mm, very effective. Like, it, you know, and again, there's lots of it. I don't mean to discount all of international development. I think it's, it's absolutely critical and there's some incredible programs out there. Uh, and then I went to work in nonprofit and uh, nonprofit consulting because I wanted to be able to tr spot the trends across nonprofits. And I was working with foundations, and I was writing like a lot of proposals on behalf of these uh, amazing community health organizations in East LA that were serving Latinx communities, and you know kept writing these grant proposals to support diabetes, support to Pepsi. And I'm like, okay, they're like the irony here is that we're asking Pepsi for their charitable dollars around some of these chronic health conditions that are being perpetuated through their core business. Yep. And that was such an, that was an awakening for me, but also what I really took was so much empathy for the nonprofit sector, because I looked at the structural, like the legal and the tax, um, the structural limitations, you know, the nonprofit sector can often be criticized for being 
risk averse. I'm like, well, your whole model is predicated on, on a donorship model, you know, where you are, you are not easily allowed to make revenue that can still sustain you and provide opportunities to reinvest. And so, um, you know, because of the tax incentives and the legal structures, it's, you know, donation based, which doesn't often give an, enough capital to make those riskier or longer term investments, or even investments in your people development or your technology development. So that was a great learning from there. And I kind of left that experience and thinking, well, shoot, like I've done all these different sectors. I, I had moved from Washington to, to Washington, DC, to Micronesia, to LA. And like, I'm kind of like, I'm out of luck. Like, what do I do? I really love school. Like I want to, like, I want to show up in the world. And I didn't know where that was. And I took some time off a couple of months and I was doing a lot of like meeting people, soul searching. And I read this one book called The Power of Unreasonable People by Pamela Hardigan and John Elkington. And it presented this concept of the, the, the confluence of business and social impact and how social impact is a really viable business strategy and how you know business, because our dominant force oops, is capitalism, you know, how might we leverage that? How might we work with that? And so that was really my, the catalyst for me to create the cause capitalism, which um, I would not, you know, I probably would rename it something now. I think some of my, my views have changed a little around this, but, but not my core belief that we have to, you know, that we have to, business has to show up in a different way and that it is so powerful when it does. And that doesn't mean that all good things need to come through business. Like there's, there's so much to be done. Um, but business cannot abdicate its responsibility, you know, in, and in, and indeed, you know, there's increasing pressure on it, which I really like. There's consumer pressure. There's like workforce pressure, you know, that, that, Employees who are stepping into the workforce are asking for more. They're asking to have a company that has values that are more holistic and kind, just to use a really simple term. Um, we also see some more pressure from investors, like growing a little bit, which is exciting, and then regulators. And um, so that was really the catalyst. And I, you know, over the past 12 to 13 years, I've built my expertise and growing expertise, I, I use that word um, just kind of as shorthand, but that's the work I've been involved in. And I've done that through in-house, as we mentioned, with PagerDuty for the past four years with Yahoo. Um, I've done it as a consultant and in various, various shapes and forms. Okay. Olivia Khalili knows what's <laughs> up. I'm just going to say that because Here's something that I'm observing about your story that I value and appreciate so much is this constant quest of curiosity to like do better, to un unify, to equalize. And I have to tell you that you talking about values at the onset is so aligned with what we talk about when we turn on the microphone here. And it's not necessarily always about your mission. It starts with you as a person and it starts with the things that are truly important to you. And I think it's healthy to question those things. And what's happening from a social justice standpoint in our, in our world is going to shift some of those belief systems. And I love very much that you talk about this little example of this, I don't know if it was a micro failure or whatever it was in the Marshall Islands of not involving the people 
in the concept of building community because, you know, we talk about the donor pyramid all the time and just how damaging that is and how if you don't flip it and start with the base in mind and asking the people who know, who live and experience these things on the front lines, they have the solutions. And so we just have to tap into that with some level of humility and co-building. I just, I'm so intrigued by your story and I'm just grateful that you were hungry and curious to keep going and pushing the bounds because I can see a lot of my journey threaded in here too. And I want to pivot to pager duty because I just am so geeked out about what you have done because to me, it just feels like you are the giant on whose shoulders we are standing here as you've been questioning this for for over a decade now. And I think the thing that's just so powerful about pager duty, I mean, you have this goal to generate long-term value as you integrate social impact into, into businesses. And so, I mean, you all are responsible for delivering 1% of product, employee volunteer time, and equity to help us, nonprofits, expand our impact, improve lives, make the world a better place. Talk to us a little bit about pager duty and like, tell us the business case for social impact. Mm. Well, let me start. Thank you. With um, so, PagerDuty is a software company. We're global, and we are a digital operations management platform. And one of the easy ways to think about that is that we help identify and orchestrate action from signals like electronic signals and teams across different technology platforms, and also like different motions, um, you know, different activities. You know, I'll, I'll start with the framework. I, so, I've been at the company for about four years and building this program. And, and I came in and uh, our founder, Jennifer Tejada is, you know, I think she's really progressive in this work too and, and the commitment to social impact. So she had, the company had taken the 1% pledge, which is 1%, committing 1% each of its equity pre-IPO, our employee volunteer time. So all employees get 20 hours of paid volunteer time off to, to volunteer, to do voter engagement, non-partisan, nonpartisan voter engagement. Um, and to vote, and then 1% of our product for nonprofits and also uh, social enterprises, and you know, specifically or primarily B Corps that we support. Um, and so I started with that framework of how do we leverage these three pieces of resources? And then I also recognize like voice. Our voice as a company, as a platform, is very important too. So what are we bringing voice to? Um, what are we speaking out in favor of, speaking out against, how are we thinking about the companies, the customers and the use cases that can use our pro- our product? You know, what are the ethical implications? But those are how we think about what's the, the, the good that we can bring into the world um, through our core business? Because my goal is that we, I work myself out of a job that, you know, soon there is no, here's PagerDuty and here's PagerDuty.org, right? It's like, this is one and the same of how we show up as a business, how we think about you know, utilizing product to help with um, time critical health and helping to save lives by reaching people faster through our core product use cases or um, helping to support uh, climate action through signal to noise alerts and and sensors. And and so that is is my ultimate goal. Um, And we're doing something now that, I, mean, I don't know if it's this, we're doing something, but we also think about this in terms of like a social impact mindset. So how can we work with Deutonians? And that's how we, how we call our employees. We have about a thousand Deutonians globally now um, so that they're understanding what the work that our program is doing, pagerduty.org, because right now we, I do have a separate team and a program, 
um, that is kind of the core responsible leads for this work, but how do they understand that? And how do they come to us and say, hey, you know, in my role um, in customer renewals, like here's what I'm seeing and here's how we can facilitate renewals for nonprofit customers, for example. You know, there's different ways that people can show up through their core roles because they have the insights. I can't have the insights across the business. And I'll, I'll define momentarily what we do a bit more tightly, but one of the best I think moments of satisfaction I've had in my work in corporate social impact was at Yahoo and Yahoo for Good. And I, you know, I got this email from someone on the search team, Yahoo Search. I'd never met him, and he said, you know, I think your team is the right people to do this. We've noticed that if you type into Yahoo Search, I need money to buy medicine for my baby. All these predatory lender ads would come up. And it's like, we think that there's a better, we've identified this as a problem. We think that there's a better way and um, we want to work with you. So our team, it was a really quick fix. We pulled together kind of a list of government health and human services and, and nonprofits in the, in, you know, ge- geographically, the search team was able to upload those. And I took screenshots and other presentations of like the before and after. But the reason this was so powerful for me is because it's not something that my team identified and then had to convince a team to adopt. They identified it. They knew that Yahoo cared about this, would care, and they knew who to come to. And then they were co-creators. They were partners. They didn't just say, here's a problem. Can you fix it? So that is kind of also my my vision of how we create a social impact mindset at PagerDuty. But to step back a bit more programmatically, we work to four key areas of our program, um, and three of them are around the, the Pledge 1%. So we're building a, a nonprofit sales program to help facilitate product discounts and support technical pro bono support for our nonprofit customers. Um, we've we introduced product credits or free product um, to our nonprofit and B Corps when I when I joined. We also have our full spectrum support. This is how we think about using our funds from our equity commitment. So we have philanthropic dollars, and we really look to couple those with product support and and employee volunteer time, whether that's like technical volunteer time to help nonprofits and B Corps with their some specific technical issues, or it could be marketing support or recruiting support. And then we are also building up our uh, at our ESG, our environmental social governance um, program, which I'm I'm really excited about and started kind of just tapping on that door with Page of Duty about a year and a half ago saying, you know, like that's, there's time that we make some investments in this. And I've been Really grateful to be able to be given the support um, to build out that work. And we just hired our first new lead who, who sits on my team to run that. So it's it's great. Um, so those are some of the kind of the pillars of our program, our nonprofit sales or you know, our nonprofit go-to-market. Oh, excuse me, on our employee experience, how we leverage all of our employees, and that's around employee volunteerism, connecting them through pro bono, through connecting them to customers. Um, employee giving. We work very closely with our employee resource groups. We have a global network of community responders who are our community ambassadors globally. Um, yeah. And then our full spectrum. And if that's how we, we drive our philanthropy and there's a, perhaps we you know might want to unpack more there. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. 
Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising, growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, are you ready to take your digital engagement to the next level, but kind of feel stuck about where to start? Let us introduce you to Feather. Feather is an amazing tech startup focused on making nonprofit outreach more impactful by connecting you to your audience, wherever they are online. From fundraising to program awareness, they've got you covered. And rather than tell you, we just wanted to show you. For years, the Humane Society of North Central Florida has participated in a local online giving day called The Amazing Give. It's a competitive landscape for donations. So in 2021, the Humane Society knew they needed to stand out in order to maximize donations. For $300 in ad spend, their retargeting ads brought 119 visitors to their Amazing Give donation page and generated nearly $6,000 in donations in just one day. With Feather, a small amount of ad spend can go a long way. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Now let's get back to this amazing conversation. Okay, Olivia. Oh my god. I just got to say, I mean, you got us with your story, then you start with <laughs> values, then you start you don't answer the question, you say it actually starts with this different mindset, and I'm like, "Thank you." Like the way that y'all show up and I can't just sit here and listen and just think like, this is a model that every leader should be leaned into listening to. It is not starting a department. Like that's probably, you know, uh, fingernails on the chalkboard to you to like start an impact department, but it's how do we change the culture or embed it in the culture of our organization? Probably amplify the culture. It changes probably the wrong word, but what, it, what have you seen is what makes this, the company rife for this and ready for this? And what is kind of the markers of a company that's ready to implement this? There are different levels of readiness. So, you know, I also would encourage people to start, even if it's perhaps not the optimal condition, because I've seen such, you know, a sea change in this work since I began it, you know, a, a dozen years ago or so, right? When I was first tracking this work and really compelled by it, some of the examples out there were like product red, which was, you know, just essentially a cause marketing. I'm like, this is really deep. And I'm like, there's got to be more. And, you know, there's a, a fantastic companies doing this work for a while. Patagonia, I mean, Tom Shoes brought in a whole other model and kind of really pushed and, and inspired a lot of um, strong, fast followers in there. But, you know, I mentioned you know, the support of our CEO from the top and from our board. So that's been, that was really useful. And to permit me to diverge for a moment, but Business in capitalism is a, a really strong force, and we are working to try to think more expansively about that so that there is more reciprocity and mutual outcomes from it. But that work can be exhausting to try to do internally. So it is important that you have some some support and some understanding from leadership and ideally that someone running this work has kind of a seat at the table and can really understand 
what are the business drivers and map the program to that and use those as levers versus saying like, okay, like we're, our goal is just to engage employees and, you know, ensure that we are putting out a couple of blog posts on our work. It's really like we think about it's like, I I need to attune to what the business is doing and then also help the business understand the opportunities. So I think of my work as also looking around the corner, like in in specific to ESG or environmental social um, governance, which is a whole framework and criteria um, that maps you know, environmental, social, and, and other factors. So we need to be thinking about climate change for business resiliency, because climate change is not just something that we need to do fundraising campaigns for and you know, do our um, employee volunteer conservation events around, but it is going to affect labor and migration and labor shortages, and it will affect offices and our employees. And so I think about my role as understanding operationally what's going on, where are the drivers, how do I support those through our work? So our nonprofit sales, we're in support of like, how are we attracting new customers? But we really work hard to balance that with delivering real value to those customers. We're not just a nonprofit sales program. And the lead that I have working on this is very intentional around that. You know, I, one of the reasons I hired him is because he has a degree in social work, even though he's been, he was a salesperson for many years. So I think having people on your team with a deep orientation and as well as a specific set of expertise and an ability to be resourceful because this work, it's like you're, you're always building something new, which is what I love about it, but that can also be taxing. And so it's listening, it's adapting, it's iterating, it's building something new, and it's having that hunger for a vision, having an ability to bring people along in your work as well. Uh, and that takes time to do that education and to stop and, and listen and to stay curious um, towards others. What I keep thinking, John, is like we just gave this big presentation at Virtuous a couple of weeks back, you know, about the impact arc and the 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 pennant of 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 what is so important is that we need to be not asking the right questions. We need to be asking bigger questions. And I feel that so much in your story that it's, it's never about the tactic. It's never even, I don't even feel like it's even about the strategy. It is so much about the bigger picture of how every part of our work influences, not just business, but connection, community, environment, purpose. And as I'm just listening to you unpack like a bajillion ways that you are (laughs) smartly and innovatively approaching this, I just keep thinking what, what companies are Olivia pouring into? Because those are the companies I, as a consumer, want to align with. I want companies that care about these things because back to values again, I see such value alignment in these questions that you're asking and the way that you are continually pushing yourself to get better and to get bigger and how you're thinking. Hiring a social worker is so brilliant in that role. There is there is a level of system that they would know and a level of empathy that you could not tap into from someone who's had those sort of lived experiences. And I, I just have to think, you know, we have such a broad nonprofit off- audience, but we also have a ton of marketers and B Corp and social impact people in this community. And I want to sit on the social impact piece just for a second, because 
I think what you've done to prove the business case for social impact is such a Rubik's cube for the rest of us. We are always trying to talk about why our missions matter, why what we're pouring into matters. So can you talk a little bit, one, about the current landscape of social impact right now? I mean, have we ever seen it as explosive as it is in the last two years? And really, how can people listening right now start to formulate that business case for the impact that they are putting out into the world? Yeah, it's exciting to see the developments. I'm getting goosebumps because it's so you know, being a practitioner in this work, you know, like your audience knows, it's like, there's so much more to do, right? And I'm kind so of sprinting towards that. And I'm just having a moment of real celebration. Um, you know, so the thanks for that. And, you know, I'm just appreciative of your audience out there too, who are really leading in and staying curious and honing their thinking and asking those questions. Um, so yes, you know, definitely there is a new understanding or interest in this work. And I think there's reasons that I shared before, just, you know, this is driven by um, what the, what the labor force wants too, And particularly with the, uh, how it is a job seekers or an employee's market, they have more choice and they're, they're activating and they're voicing their values, which is great. You know, we really work closely with our Dutonians and invite their perspective. I love our workforce because, yeah, (laughs) I love our workforce because they're curious and they're like sophisticated in their thinking about world issues and inclusion, diversity and equity. So I think also that was another um, piece that has contributed to companies adopting this more is just the the spate of um, racially motivated murders and, and violence in the U.S. Um, that is one outcome of that that I hope will really have a favorable long long term effect. Um, you know, there is more regulatory pressure, some more investor pressure, and so companies are saying, you know, an example like Salesforce, and Salesforce is a leader in so many areas, but they're requiring their larger vendors to adopt science-based climate targets, which is amazing, right? To have that pressure from a vendor. And so that's really, they're having that amplification and, and that network effect. So those are some of the trends I see more companies doing this company. A lot of companies before they IPO, you know, my husband joked years ago and like, it's our current joke is it's the truth. He's like, you can tell when a company is going to IPO because they start to hire ahead of social impact and they start to like gin up their efforts oh in this gosh. area. So little so tip um, out there. Dinner but jokes yeah. in Olivia's house are just different than the rest <laughs> of ours. You know, it's great. <laughs> Love it. Um, so, but go for it, right? Like, you know, sometimes we're motivated by something that's more surface, but the opportunity to really root that work and impact is so deep underneath. And so I'm really inspired by that. And I'm inspired by people who are stepping into this work as professionals because they are coming from different backgrounds. I think that's such the beauty of this. When I was going to school, when my peers were going to school, there was no, there were no courses around this. So it was a lot of learning on the go. And you've heard how I kind of tapestried my past experience to do what I'm doing. And and I, I hope that to a degree that continues. I think there's absolutely a place to codify learnings and elevate the sector so that we're not always reinventing ourselves. Um, but I see that. I also see an opportunity for people to continually open source and share their work. And this, what I love about the social impact community, it's so generous and open. You know, these values of like transparency, 
all, you know, all tides rise together. It's so pure. There is lack of competition. There's such a lack of collaboration. It is our space. It doesn't feel better to be over here. Yeah. And that, you know, that's also how I want to model. And, you know, I want our team to model. How are we open sourcing our work? You reminded me in this conversation that I think 1.0 of impact is corporations giving a gift, right? And now I love and it's just threaded in your story. I see how you've come out, not just awakened to it, but implemented it, but then the layers of how it can really take part and become a mindset of an organization to me is so powerful as you activate the employees and give power to them taking that to their communities that they're living in, especially as a global. Their networks there. I mean, there's so much more other than the financial gift. If you're thinking about asking for a corporate gift to buy a table at your gala, you are not asking a big enough question. And I will tell you, we don't do that. Okay. We do not do that. that. (laughs) So uh, this is front and center because we have been pitched multiple times with this one internally with this one event that our team another team would like to get sponsorship to. And it's an absolute no, because it's transactional. Um, and that's not how we're going to engage. That's transactional. And that was a larger, I'm not saying we don't do any events, but that was a larger golf sponsorship, which I'm not executing social impact through a closed door golf tournament. That to me is really misaligned with how we are trying to connect with and uplift communities. And so we think really deeply about this is where I geek out. Like philanthropy, you know, philanthropy, that system is rigged, right? It is people with wealth, with privilege. Like I don't earn this place at Pager Duty. I, I spent a year living in a really impoverished community in Micronesia. I understand that it is, I believe, like it's kind of like the birthright lottery. Like, and so there's a huge responsibility that comes with my privilege. And um, I was listening to a powerful teacher and they said like privilege, we have to have privilege, not be a dirty word, but have it really seen as a responsibility. And so I'm trying to like really step into that. Like, what does it mean to be of privilege to acknowledge that And philanthropy is some subset of, of individuals with wealth who make decisions about how to impact other communities. We're really thinking about like, how do we shift and share power, which means we don't get to control all the decisions. We are really trying to work with our, um, our partners, you know, our grantees, our partners. We're trying to engage people with lived experiences. We're trying to engage experts in these areas. And I can talk very, you know, I'll, I'll finish this, but I can give some examples around client climate justice work that we're deep in this process now. And it has been it takes a long time. It is not linear. It is not move at the pace of a fast-paced tech company. Like we have had to really shift our expectations about what it does, what it means if we truly want to engage in in opening up a dialogue and in inviting people in with different perspectives. And that is what we want. We want to not perpetuate this like the inequities through philanthropy, but to figure out how to do this differently. We have resources. We want the resources to flow into the community, but how do we do so in a way that is truly empowering? And so some of the, like the tactical things are that we give all of our funding as unrestricted funding so that nonprofits get to determine where and how they want to use it. And we have this amazing partner that does um, called called we robotics and they're a global partner. They work with a a very equity-based model with local 
local organizations to empower them. And they use drones um, to deliver medicine, COVID vaccines. And we did a pilot with them connected to our pager duty technology in a remote province in the Philippines. Well, you'll guess what? The pilot was cut short because there were these elections there and the elections, if they continued their pilot, the elections, it would have unduly influenced the electoral outcomes because this it was so remote in this very specific area that to bring in this kind of outside healthcare would have influenced the electoral vote. So they listened to their partners on the ground and said, we really need to cut this pilot early. They came to us and they're like, we need to cut this pilot early. I don't know if we're going to get like the data that we were hoping for. We didn't. And we're like, okay, like we trust you. Let's figure out how to move this forward. And we've had those powerful conversations and we're learning so much around them. So we give our funding as unrestricted. We're working with our partners to co-create impact metrics so that we can, we want to have a sense of like, is our work effective? It's not like, it's not all spewing principles and values. Like we're trying to also gauge, how do we do this better? Like, how do we really show up? So we're working with them to co-create impact metrics. We're providing our first grants last year as um, multi-year grants. You know, we have very low requirements for reporting with our grant partners. We're trying to work with them to see how do we be more equal so that there's not a power imbalance in this funder fundy relationship. Um, And we're here to learn with you. Uh, We're here to learn from you. So that's how we think about, and I, I mean, there's so much more I can say around trust-based philanthropy, trying to be more inclusive. I want to figure out a new word for philanthropy that it's really like about has just disrupted that model. Um, and we're early in our journey around power sharing. We're learning a lot. We engage this in this process around helping to build out our, our just and equitable philanthropy strategy. And we're still engaging this. It's been almost two years and stops and starts. And, and part of the feedback we got earlier, we have our, our pageduty.org mission is to meet urgent needs faster to advance justice and health. And our vision is a responsive world where everyone has the freedom to thrive. And we got some feedback that like, you know, that's, that's um, kind of a supremacist mindset, like just to be so much about speed and so much about, and like who, who's measuring, who's thriving, what does it mean to thrive? And, and I share this as an example of like, when you really open it up and invite participation and input, then it's our responsibility to deeply listen and determine how we want to move forward with that. And that was not feedback that we ever expected, right? We actually weren't asking for feedback on our vision and mission, but they said like, you know, just we're kind of caught up on this. Like this isn't really resonating with how we're trying to affect change in our communities through our work. And don't you love it when somebody just tells you when you have broccoli in your teeth? Truly, I I hear the word responsibility a a couple times, you know, and I love that juxtaposition with responsibility and privilege. But this is also back to your original point about the community center. If we're socializing and making sure that the base is really feeling seen and lifted in this, we can't go wrong. And to back to the all the do-getters in our community, this is how you build rabid fans. This is what we call them, people who believe so deeply in what you're doing that they will tell you, you know, when you've misstepped and they will tell you how it makes them feel. And it's incumbent upon us to pause in those moments, which is very hard for me. I talk fast. I walk fast. I do everything <laughs> fast. But it's really a trigger that's like, whoa, this is a moment we need to sit in and bravo to you for listening. 
process. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a process, right? But that is what we're doing is practicing being uncomfortable and curious. I am convinced we could talk to you all day on all of these things, but I'd love to kind of round out this segment just for the nonprofit listening. I mean, I think you have, goodness, put a stake in the ground of a better way to do this, you know, and moving away from the transactional, what does an ideal partnership look like? Like, How does a nonprofit posture themselves, start to build their relationship and come to the table with a corporation? And find the right partner. Where are they? Where can they look? So first of all, you know, everyone should do their research, right? So corporations should do their research, nonprofits should do their research, understanding what is a a corporate social impact program focused on, because we're focused on time critical health and we're building out a strategy and focus around climate justice. So those are our two, in terms of what the areas we're funding, those are our two primary focus areas. So if you're coming to me around education or criminal justice or so many rights that I'm deeply passionate about, but I'm not really going to be able to execute those through this work. Um, so understand that. Or, you know, if it's outside of those scopes, you could say, I've actually read that you have a really robust volunteer program. And I understand this might not be part of your funding scope, but maybe we could partner in this capacity. So doing doing the research to try to find that alignment. Uh, and then so many of my peer corporate social impact partners and teams are, you know, are very much you know, in the similar thinking around, you know, creating a true partnership. So I would look at kind of what are the values there and then recognizing that as a nonprofit or as a social enterprise, there's so much deep expertise that you bring and really own that. Like that's what we look for in partners, someone who will be willing to help educate us. And that's an ask that we're making. That's not an assumption, right? That's like, yes. they could say, no, like we don't want to spend our time trying to educate you, but we come to it saying like, this is, we are trying to learn and get better. And like, this is part of what we means to partner with us. And we're not going to be undue. We're going with our request. We're going to you know, compensate you and be considerate. But that's, I, so I think, you know, coming with that sense of expertise uh, and a sense of collaboration of being curious, of being able to listen, but also I really want our par- partners to say no when they can't do something. It would be the worst if I'm trying to support something and I don't know that what I'm asking them is really counter aligned to what they need. The worst, mm-hmm. like that serves no one. So please like recognize your power, your experience, be open, be curious, you know, set your boundaries. Like we, and you will find open-minded partners, you know, through that. We just had, we did as a first round of climate justice grants and we're doing a larger version of that now. Um, but we had, we were going to make four grants and we reached out to the the founders. We also really prioritize, and this is not exclusive. We, it's not a criteria, but we consider who's in the leadership roles. Are the organizations that we're funding, is the board leadership, is the executive leadership, from you know, women or BIPOC underrepresented, we're trying to ensure that we get a little bit out of everyone funding the favorite nonprofits. How do we really try to equalize? So we found these four that we had selected through multiple layers of process and criteria, and we off you know reached out to say we'd like to give you funding. This one organization, very young, like they could have easily said, of course, like they were like almost student run, like they were so new. They had initiated as students. They said, we'd actually like to take a call with you to understand more about your work, your intentions, what this entails before we can accept. Like that is starting to shift the power dynamic. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> so here for it. Okay, you've already thrown down the gauntlet that you want to rename philanthropy, so we may need to hear this, but we want to give space. We believe in the power of the word formerly known as philanthropy at this space, you know, like, so, I mean, would you take us back? What's a story that's really informed your worldview um, because of the power of philanthropy? So we did a, I have my, my kids are um, five and seven and we did a, the five-year-old wanted to do a bake sale. So we baked cookies and we were going to go sell them. And I said, you know, let's, let's use this to raise money for Ukraine. And he was all in cause he's five and he's not that connected to money. The seven-year-old, not so much. Like he really wanted to earn this. So they, they made signs. We went out to, uh, uh, there was a music festival in a park in East Austin and we sold cookies with the signs and, you know, they decided it was a pay what you want model. They said, it's a pay what you want model. And if we find anyone who's unhoused, they don't have to pay. We can just give them the cookies, which I'm like, bless, bless your hearts. So, you know, and they, this five and seven, it's hard for them to go south. So they, but they're out there, they've got their sign, you know, pay what you want cookies for Ukraine. And I coach them and they do this and, People come. They, and it was wonderful. It was fantastic. We sold out within an hour. We raised $102 for Ukraine. <laughs> and then they wanted to do it again. So the next weekend we go out, but they didn't want to do money for Ukraine. The time the seven-year-old prevailed. And it was such a different experience. They had such a hard time trying to sell. And I think the lesson there is that there was a different engagement. It was like there was, they were doing nothing wrong. They were still kids at a playground at a bake sale, but they, for whatever, you know, they just weren't in the, they were caught up more in their own um, timidity around it rather than trying to do something on another person's behalf. And people reacted differently. You know, you're going to perhaps buy cookies that you didn't intend to buy when, the money is going to a different cause. So I think that was a really interesting, it, it was something for interesting for me to observe. And I haven't really broken it down to them in such terms, but I wonder if they have felt that. Oh, I love that. Okay. I love that story so much. And what a beautiful metaphor for anything that shows up in life. Do we not just pour our passion? Mm. It, it comes so much more easily when we believe in something, when we're passionate about it. And I am just loving these little Olivia type children that you are raising in your little part of the world, because I think even that rejuvenates the spirit. I mean, when I'm out there and I see a kids fundraising for a cause, I mean, I want to, I want to slap way more down than I normally would too. And I'm totally going to steal that no, no gift amount. And we're going to try that the next time my kids and I fundraise for something. So, okay, Olivia, I, we are deeply depressed that we have to close out this conversation, (laughs) (laughs) but we end all of our conversations asking our guests to share one good thing, um, with our audience. It could be a life hack, a mantra, a piece of advice. What would you offer up to our community? One good thing I'm thinking of right now is that just to recalibrate, if you can put your feet on the earth in the grass and look up at the sky, that is the first thing that came to mind. So that is one good thing. And the other is we need a different model of leadership in our world. So just continue to lead with your full selves, your voice, your values, lift up others, lean in. It is hard sometimes when we're caught in structures and we feel vulnerable or feel we'll be penalized for for X or Y, but it is so important and courageous. When I see people do this 
it, it is so inspiring. It gives me more permission. And I strive to do this to give other people permission. And that is part of what I love the most is just, uh, yeah, kind of getting into that and, and helping grow my team and their visions and influencing the social impact and a, a heart-led mindset at PagerDuty. Olivia, Olivia Khalili, will you be my best <laughs> friend forever? <laughs> yeah. I'm just so heartened to know someone like you exists in the world and that you're out there fighting for things that matter. It's just totally empowering and uplifting conversation. I hope our listeners got as much out of this as John and I have. Let's round this out. How can people connect with you? I know you have such a presence on LinkedIn, so definitely find you there. Is there other ways to connect with PagerDuty and the work that you're doing? Oh, so PagerDuty um, on Twitter, there's a PagerDuty blog. We just published last week our um, impact report, our annual impact report, which is filled of wonderful stories of our partners. We really strive to amplify and uplift their work and of Dutonians who are just going above and beyond um, in their role. They're, so I didn't even get to those stories today, but they're fabulous. So if you're interested in learning more about our work, there's we talk about our values. We talk about what we're striving to do. Um, you can check out, uh, if you go to pagerduty.org, you can check out our link to our impact report. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at, at OKL. Um, and I would love to hear from your community. I want to thank you both and really just honor the, the work and the vision and the hearts of your listeners. Um, I just feel inspired. Thank you. Oh my gosh. We've got yeah. full hearts and I feel like we're just dreaming bigger for what's possible. What a great moment. Thank you for leading us into this amazing conversation and appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free. And you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.